Heavenly Father, we want to come before you and just acknowledge the power and the presence of our God. Lord, we thank you that you are here. Lord, we thank you for your anointing. We thank you, Lord, that we can open up our hearts and our lives to you. We thank you, Lord, that we can study the scriptures. For you alone have the words of eternal life. You instructed your, your followers, your disciples, Lord. You taught them and gave them the words of life. And Lord, we have the privilege thousands of years later to be studying the things that you taught us. And so, Father God, we, we, we thank you and we praise you uh, for the outpouring of your spirit this morning. I pray, Lord, that there would be a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of your word this morning, that, that you would uh, speak into our hearts, that it wouldn't be a man speaking, Lord, I can't do anything. But Lord, as the Holy Spirit would take the words that you've given me and apply them to our heart, Lord, we know that you can bring life from the, from the dead, Lord. And I just pray that you bring real life unto us, that our hearts would be open and receptive to the things of God. And so, Lord, we, we pray that there would be an outpouring of your Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. Well, we started on, on, on uh, our study last week, and we were talking about the divine nature of God, and we didn't get very far. In fact, we only got to the first two words. Um, I would like to say, I promise you uh, a, a lot more this week, but I'm afraid I can't. We got stuck on the next word. So, um, it will speed up, but I, I hope you enjoyed last week. It was, I, I found it a fascinating study. I hope you did too. But, uh, so this morning, I, I want to carry on. But uh, we'll just have to go as far as we can uh, this morning. Let's look at our scripture again. Second Peter chapter 1 and verses 1 through 11. And if I could give you some homework to do right now, just notice how many times the word knowledge appears in this passage of scripture. And uh, it's quite important to understand what God is trying to say to us. Verse 1. Oh, sorry. Have a swing of this. It's milk, it's alright. <laughs> Stop me from coughing. Okay, let's read from verse 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant, and that's as far as we'll get today, but uh, I, I think you'll find something. <laughs> Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that obtained like precious faith with us, through the righteousness of God and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and to godliness. Through the knowledge of Him that has called us unto glory and virtue. Whereby are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises. That by these you might be partakers of of the divine nature. How incredible is that, isn't it? Just, I love that verse. Just, uh, whereby are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness. 
and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So stop there just for a second, verse 8. I was just thinking how sad it would be, what a travesty it would be to live all your life uh, for the Lord. And when, when, when the judgment comes, we, we discover that our life has been unfruitful, unprofitable. How terrible. And this particular passage of Scripture is showing us how to make sure that we don't end up in, in that dire circumstance. So verse 8 again. And if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. And he has forgotten that he was purged from his sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. What a statement. Hallelujah. This is telling us how we can walk in absolute victory. I'm messing with I'm trying to it. So you shall never fall if you do these things. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Man, this is, this is how we can grow. This is how we can develop. If we just take this passage, if you only had this passage um, in, in, in all the Bible and you just lived this, you would come to a saving faith. You would, become, you would lead a profitable and fulfilled life. Amen? Amen? This is a very powerful portion of Scripture. And we're going to be spending a little bit of time on it. And so we, we saw that, that Simon Peter, remember we, Simon, uh, Simeon uh, in the Greek and Shimon in, in the Hebrew uh, means uh, Peter is uh, uh, the little stone and Simon is he, he who hears. And so Simon Peter is the little stone that hears. And we looked at how really important and, and relevant that was and it turned out to be a wonderful study. Anyway, I, I don't intend to go back over that because it will be up on the website again. But um, he goes on to say, Simon Peter, a servant. And it really typifies his walk with the Lord. He's saying, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. And the word he uses here is doulos. It's the Greek word. It means a bond servant or a bond slave. And in actual fact, he's not just a slave. He has a bond slave, and a bond is an agreement with legal force. So you could say that he is, he is a man that's bound to his master. This is how Simon Peter sees himself, as bound to the master, one with the master. That is such a key. If we're going to get close to God, if we're going to grow and develop, we need to bind ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We need to be bond slaves to the Lord. Are you alive this morning? Yes. Oh, thank you. Praise God. Something you are. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay, so let's go on. So, this is the idea of being bound to the master. A bond slave, that man is no longer free to do what he wants to do. He is his master's purchased possession, bought to serve his master's needs. He's at his beck and call day and night. He's there to do whatever the master requires him because he's his master's purchase possession. So a slave's a bond slave's total responsibility is to do exactly what the master requires of him. And so the slave is not consulted about his needs. 
his desires, or his feelings. <laughs> Man, the, so much of the modern church lives by their feelings. You know, oh, I feel this, I feel that we need to... <laughs> so a slave is not concerned about needs, desires, or feelings because it's not about him. It's about his master's will. Can you say amen? He is told what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. And you better do it without complaint. And you better do a darn good job because you're a slave and you belong to the master. And so you better do it with a good attitude. And so a good mindset for a slave is this. Your will is my command. That should be the mindset of every bond slave. Lord, what do you require of me? I will do it. I will fulfill what you require of me. That's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm binding myself. And Paul actually adds a, a very important inclusion here. And uh, he reminds us as Christians that all of us are, are, are bought with a price. If you turn to 1 Corinthians 6 uh, and verse 20, we'll see exactly what Paul says here. And he's speaking to believers. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to you and I as individual believers. He says, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God owns us. Amen? Amen. God is our Lord, our Savior, and our Master. Paul's reminding us that we belong to Christ, that we've been bought with a price. Now, that word bought is the, is the Greek word agorezo. And uh, it and literally means to purchase or to buy from the market. And it's the idea that you go down to the slave market, you select a slave, a good, strong slave, and you say, I'll take that one, please, and you pay the price, and you take him home to do your bidding. Read the book of Hosea, um, as uh, Julia pointed out a couple of weeks back, is just an expansion of this whole idea of agorazo, to be bought, to be, to be owned by someone else. And Hosea goes down to the slave market, why? To purchase Goma, his wayward and adulterous wife. So her immoral lifestyle led her into bondage. And eventually she's going to be sold as a slave. And Hosea hears about it. And he goes down to the slave market to buy his wife back. Humiliating, loving, there are just so many, so many ways you could look at this. But really, this is what it means to be to be bought back, to be agorazo, to be redeemed uh, by the price of a slave. And so it, it really is a beautiful picture of, of Hosea's love for Goma, that even though he married her and she's his by right, because of her wayward lifestyle, she's now bound in slavery, and he comes and he pays the purchase price to redeem her and restore her and bring her back into a loving relationship. It's a beautiful story. It's a wonderful love story that God is trying to speak to you and I about. It. Because the truth is that that is the parallel of our lives. Isn't it? That's the exact We were created by God. God gave us life and then we went off and did our own thing. And we ended up in slavery. We ended up in a place where we were bound to sin, in bondage to a cruel taskmaster, to Satan himself. We were bound by sin and depravity and darkness and despair. We were covered with guilt. I, I would never go back to the world, would you? There's nothing that the world can offer. You know, you're covered with guilt, shame, fear. You were sick, you know, hopeless, defeated and condemned. That's the picture of those that are in the world. And Jesus goes down to the slave market and brought us back. 
He anchored our tongues. He redeemed us from destruction. He broke the chains that bound us. He cleansed us of our sins. He dressed our wounds and He healed our bodies. He clothed us in His righteousness and set us free to serve Him if we choose. I say if we choose because God doesn't force anyone to serve Him. Serving the Lord is an honor and a privilege. It's a love thing that, that we, we give to the Lord because He means absolutely everything to us. So He doesn't force us. We, we choose to serve Him. He died for the sins of the whole world. So that anybody in, in, in any part of the world could receive forgiveness and mercy and grace and the love of God. Sadly, very few people take Him up on Him as offered to serve Him. But we who have done that now have a new master who's kind, who's benevolent, he is good. He's a good master, and he does us good all the time. Can you say amen? amen. He always does us good. No good thing will he withhold to them that walk uprightly. Again, First Corinthians six four reminds us that we bought with this price, that we are not our own, and oh, what a price! Christ has suffered in our place. He took our punishment. The just, the justified one of Son of God died in our place for the unjust. For the wicked, for the fallen. What a, what a purchase. He was savagely attacked, brutally beaten. He was marred beyond recognition. Jesus su suffered such ferocious uh, violence that it was absolutely insane. They, they, they took out all their, their hatred and animosity in him. It was inhumane. They barbarically beat him to him with an inch of his life, so much so that he could hardly walk. He certainly couldn't carry his cross. That's what he endured. Then they savagely nailed his hands and his feet to the cross and left him there to suffer and die. And that was the price that Jesus paid for us because we deserved the death penalty. But Christ loved us so much that he was willing to take our punishment. This is what he did for us. I want to read you what Isaiah has to say. And it's a beautiful um, picture I, I, I want to read it from the Amplified because we're so familiar with the, with the conventional um, part of that that um, we need to just see it with fresh eyes. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, and I'm reading it from the Amplified. It says this, Surely he has borne our griefs, our sicknesses, our weaknesses, and distresses. Wow, if, that was, if that's all he did, it would have been enough. Amen. Surely he borne our griefs, our sicknesses, our weaknesses, and distresses, and he carried our sorrows and pains of punishment. Yet we ignorantly considered him stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God, as if with leprosy. In other words, he was totally abandoned because you, you got as far away from the leper as you possibly could, as you catch that fatal disease. Verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. The chastisement needful to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon him. And with the stripes that wounded him, we are healed and made whole. Hallelujah. I love that. Isn't it wonderful to see a fresh perspective of something you know so well? And Jesus experienced all that this is how he aggravated us. This is how he bought us. He paid this terrible price on our behalf. So, what is the Christian life all about? Christian service is first and foremost living a life, of, a, a relationship of the utmost obedience 
unto the Savior. Can you say amen? amen? Like Peter, one who willingly submits to his master, who's bound to the master. That should be our goal and our desire, a life of the utmost obedience. As Christians, we're not free to do our own thing in rebellion. As a faithful bond servant, uh, he does what he's told, whether he likes it or not. Ah, I'm getting standing on some toes just now. But anyway, because he was bought with a price, that's why he does the things he doesn't want to do. Do we practice this in the church? We should. We certainly should. You see, do we do things we don't like for Christ's sake? Do we forgive when we don't want to forgive? When we feel justified in hanging on to that, 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 uh, that injury, that hurt that we perceive? Do we forget? We are supposed to. And so it's really important that we do the things that we don't like for Christ's sake. That's really what a one servant is. Do we really put the Lord first as much as we should? And I think each and every one of us has to stop and have a look at our lives at this moment and say, Lord, am I as fully submitted as I want to be? Can I do more? Can I be more committed to you and loving you more sincerely and more faithfully? Lord, could we do this? Or are we wayward. Still living for ourselves. This is a picture of a wayward Christian, thinking only of what's good for us, running around and doing what we please, instead of praying and reading the Bible, serving others, uh, serving God, uh, turning the other cheek. You know, these things don't make us righteous, but if we're loving the Lord and serving the Lord, we should be uh, doing those out of love and grace. Amen? Amen. But you know, we end up, sometimes the reality is that instead of doing those things, we end up doing the things that we shouldn't. Watching things that we shouldn't. Saying things that we shouldn't. Behaving in an ungodly manner. Giving into sin. At the time, our wants and needs are more important than what Christ requires of us. Like Gomer, sometimes we behave as Christ's unfaithful and adulterous bride. Isn't it amazing? How we can spot the speck in our brother's eye and you don't see the plank in our own. Too often we want grace for ourselves, but we want law for everybody else. You know? Man, it's so typical. It's because it's easy to judge the mistakes of others. It's difficult to recognize our own. You know, I love Robert Burns. Um, and this is the one that he's saying that, that I love. He said, oh, with some power, give us the gift to see ourselves as others see us. <laughs> and so often we see ourselves through rose-colored glasses. We see ourselves in, in like an unreality. Instead of really looking at ourselves as we truly are. And I think there's a time in our Christian walk when we've got to get real with ourselves. Take off our rose-colored glasses <laughs> and say, right, Lord, I, I, I need to examine myself. There's a time of spring cleaning. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. We need to clean up our lives. You see, a faithful servant, a bond slave, serves out of gratitude and appreciates what the master has done. That's the difference between a, a, a bond slave of the Lord and just a slave of the world. You see, the bond slave of the Lord recognizes how much Jesus loves us, recognizes how much He's done for us, and how He wants to minister His grace and His love. All too often, though, the, the, the modern church is like Philemon. Remember him? The runaway slave. Rebellious, 
self-seeking, casting off all obligations, comforting his flesh, because he was really looking for an easy lifestyle, fueling the carnal desires of body, soul, and spirit. The truth is, sometimes we are like Philemon, running away from our obligations, rejecting the Master's call, ignoring all that Christ has done for us, all because we too are looking for an easy life. You see, we've got to fall in love with Jesus more and more, and the more you love Him, the closer you'll become to Him, and that you'll discover that your labor is a labor of love rather than just a labor. See, we all want to be faithful servants, don't we? We all want to hear the Master say, well done, now good and faithful servant. That's the desire, I think, of everybody here this morning. We want to hear that. But you know, if we take our rose-colored glasses off, you know, uh, and, you know, what do we see? How many times we've been unfaithful? How many times we've disobeyed? We won't witness because of the fear of man. We won't pray out loud or prophesy and move in the Spirit. We won't tithe. We won't go to meetings because it's cold, wet, or untired. Our fleshly comforts are more important than our obedience to Christ. Too often, like Philemon, our will is more important than the Master's. We are disobedient slaves, quick to cast aside our obligations and to forget what the Lord has done for us. Paul reminds the church at Corinth, he says, We are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. That's not easy, folks. Let's be honest. This Christian life is not easy. Can I have an amen? amen. Hallelujah. If you're trying to do it, and you're trying to honor the Lord, you find that they're difficult times. My problem is I identify too much with Peter. I, I, I thank God for Peter because, you know, Peter uh, rushed on ahead when he should have waited. He slept when he should have prayed. He talked when he should have listened. Anybody identifying him? <laughs> if there was a wrong way to do something, Peter did it. And if there wasn't, he invented it. You know, he was ready to call fire down on people. You know, he was quick-tempered. Yeah. And he, he cut off Malchus's ear with a sword. Yes. No wonder Jesus called him the son of thunder. You know, he had a real problem character. You know? Man, Peter only opened his mouth to change feet. Rather than witness, he denied the Lord. Three times. How many have ever felt like Peter? You know, unfaithful and disobedient. Even after we get saved... We feel that we, we sometimes come to that place. I've got good news for you this morning. I've got some really good news. Peter made it. And so will you and I. We're going to look at how Peter made it because it's absolutely incredible. Regardless of how far we have fallen, we can be destroyed. And, uh, restored! 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 I was just seeing if you were awake. Regardless of how far we've fallen, we can be restored. Failure is just a bump on the road to success. So just keep on going. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. That's what Isaiah said. And he goes on uh, later on in, in the, the book he wrote. In Isaiah 55 and verse 7, he says this. Isaiah 55 and verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord... And he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. See, a lot of people confuse mercy and grace. 
Mercy is, is when, you, when you receive mercy, you don't get all the bad things that you so richly deserve. That's mercy. When you are pardoned, when you are forgiven of all your wrong deeds, that is mercy. Grace, on the other hand, is getting things you don't deserve. You bless despite your wrongdoing. That's grace. That is the, uh, the whole concept behind unmerited favor. You can't earn it, you can't deserve it. But it's given to you anyway. Look what it says. Return to the Lord and He will have mercy upon you. You won't get what you deserve. You know, uh, more than this, you'll be pardoned. That's the Hebrew word, salach. And salach actually means to be completely forgiven. I like the idea of that. To be completely forgiven uh, or pardoned is the words here. But not just pardoned. Did you notice as we read it? It says, you will be abundantly pardoned. It's the Hebrew word, rabah. And Rabbah means exceedingly or abundantly pardoned. So God is going to extravagant lengths to pardon the sinner. God is going to extremes to declare us righteous. It's an amazing thing. <coughs> when you return to the Lord, you won't get what you deserve. You'll be completely forgiven, exceedingly and abundantly pardoned. Praise God. Amen. I'm so happy about Thank that, God. aren't you? And any one of us can come back and receive this abundance of grace and mercy by the Lord. How many are grateful for the Lord's mercy? Can you say amen? Amen. amen. In time, look what happened to Peter. Peter became the father figure of the church. Oh, Lord, help the church. But he did. He became a father figure. He didn't become the first pope, um, but he did become a father figure, a man greatly loved and respected, a man who was honored uh, with wisdom. Uh, and as a man who walked with Jesus Christ. Peter became a leading figure in the church by preaching the gospel to the Jews as Paul did to, by preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. What accounts for Peter's change? I want to tell you, it's God's grace, His love, and His mercy. That's why Peter found out that he could serve the Lord because of God's grace, love, and mercy. Listen to Psalm 37 and verse 23 and 24. The steps of a good man. Notice we're talking about good people here. The saints. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, a good man falls. You know, even Christians fall. And so... It goes on to say, though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. What a beautiful picture of grace. That even the good are held up by the Lord when, when we fall. It's God who lifts the fallen. He upholds them with his hand. He is the strength of our lives. He cleanses us and forgives us of our sins. For we all fail in every way. But God redeems our life from destruction. What a mighty God we serve. Again and again, God lifted Peter. So much so that he was transformed by this love and grace. And what God did for Peter, he will do for you and I. Because he's no respecter of persons. God will lift us up even when we fall. Even when we feel like we, we utter failures. God is there to lift up uh, us and restore us back to our place of blessing. So this was the key to transformation in Peter's life. He was transformed by love and grace. That's what made him a different person from the, the, the rough 
short uh, uh, fisherman that he was, he became the refined preacher of grace. Peter loved the Lord. And that was the secret to his service. If you love the Lord, service is not service. It's a fellowship. And if you love God, it's not a chore. It's a pleasure to be in God's presence and about the Lord's business. It's a pleasure in the honor. Can you say amen? amen? Paul understands this very principle. And he, and he shows us how to grow and to develop because this is what Peter is saying. And here we're going to look at Paul. And Paul is saying something very similar. And uh, in Romans chapter 12 and 1 and 2, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So, Far too often when we read that verse or when preachers get a hold of that verse, they want to talk about being a living sacrifice. You've got to be a living sacrifice. And you know what that does? If you do that, you go down that road, you're following a road of works. You have to be a living sacrifice. And it leads us down the path of works, not grace. And if you do well under works, hey, I, you know, I, I, I did pretty well today. You, you need to look at me. I'm a great example. You know? We get so proud and puffed up when we do works. But if you fail, you kind of feel contemned. You feel guilty. Like, I'm worthless. I'm not, I'm not darn good to, to man or beast. That's works. That's what works will do. God says, listen to what Paul says in the, in the divine word. He says, I beseech you, brethren. I beseech you. That's a powerful English word. It really means, I beg you, I implore you, I plead with you. Brethren, by the mercies of God. So how do we present our bodies as a living sacrifice? By the mercies of God. If you don't understand that this, this life is lived by God's mercy and grace, you're going to struggle and feel really guilty and condemned. So... That word mercies is the Greek word oikotrimos. Uh, I always trouble think of a pig. Oikotrimos. That's really, uh, it means compassion. And it's the idea of sympathy, kindness, the goodness of God. That's really what that's saying. The mercies of God, the, the compassion, the sympathy, and the kindness, the goodness of God. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. When we see the, the grace that God extends to the sinner, when we see how he extends grace even to the good people that fall, we can come and our hearts are filled with love and mercy from God. It's the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. Think of this definition that I've just given you for this word, Oitrimos. Sympathy, kindness, the goodness of God. Lamentations, Chapter 3 and verses 22 and 23. You know it so well. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, His compassion, His sympathy, His kindness, the goodness of God never come to an end. Woo! Hallelujah, Lord. 
They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord. Amen. God never looks at you and says, no, no, not today. You've just done it too, too often. You don't talk to yourself about it. Never. God is loving. He's merciful. He's compassionate. He's kind. It's the goodness of God. Oh, can anybody say praise the Lord? Hallelujah. I just want to praise break and say, thank you, God, for all that you've done. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. You know, 18-year-old Queen Victoria was asked to sign a man's death warrant as one of her first official duties as the Queen of England. And that really troubled her as a young girl, 18 years old. So she said, as an expression of the spirit in which I desire to rule, I will exercise my royal prerogative. And she wrote the word pardoned on the document. And the prisoner was set free. That's history. That's what a pardon will do for you. You can be under a death sentence, but if the, if the authority says, hey, you are pardoned, you will be forgiven all debts. You'll be released from all kinds of, of condemnation, guilt, and punishment. And that's what Christ has done for us. He has pardoned us. He's forgiven us completely and totally. So, the next key to growth and transformation. Do you want to grow? Yes. Okay, I'll see, you two come speak to me often. <laughs> and I'll just tell you because the rest of you don't want to listen. Okay. okay, so let's have a look. We want to grow. It's the, the second really most important thing is found in verse 2. And it says this. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed, be changed, be different. How? By the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do you go in Christ? How do you develop as a Christian? How are you transformed? It tells you. By the renewing of your mind. That's the key to spiritual growth. Can you say amen? amen. So, let me say this. No renewing of the mind. No growth. No progress. Only stagnation. And they're Christians that have sat in the church. They are babes that have sat in church all their life. And never, never once really grown because they've never learned the word of God. How do I know that? Because I was one of them. I was in the church for nearly 16 years as a young man. More than half my life at that stage had been lived in the church. And I didn't know which books were in the New Testament. I had never renewed my mind. So I know that there are people out there like that because I was one of them. And so he's saying this, they've never made an effort to renew their minds, to think as God thinks, to speak as God speaks, to learn his words. That, that word, Greek word renewing is anachinosis. And anachinosis actually means to renovate. To renovate or to renew. You know, when I was in England and I was thinking about coming to, to New Zealand, um, I wanted to renovate my house. And I was looking for a, a good, uh, you know, the shekels. I was looking for a good return on my money. And our house hadn't been done up since the 60s. I think when we moved in, we were so broke. Um, they, they wanted 25% deposit. And that left us with no money to, to fix up the house. And uh, our, our bathroom, just by way of knowledge, uh, was pink and black and green and uh, it, it had a purple blind and a, 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 a white cupboard I mean it was like you woke up in the morning you stepped into the bathroom and you were shocked by this and I thought man 
And kabod actually means uh, to glorify, to honor, uh, to make great, or to promote. Man, so you look at that and you think, man, that's incredible. If I wait on the Lord, God is going to glorify me, He's going to bless me, He's going to make me great, and He's going to honor me. If I wait on the Lord, that's the promise. I hate to say this, but the problem's not with God. The problem's with us. We don't discipline ourselves because we avoid pressure. We're always looking for the easy option, the path of least resistance, just like Philemon, the runaway slave. You know what happens when you take a lump of coal and you subject it to a lot of heat and pressure? It's transformed. It becomes a diamond, something of infinite beauty and worth. You know, as bond slaves to the master, we should submit to the pressure anachronosis, to the renewing of our mind. And if we do that, we shall be transformed into something of infinite worth. We shall become much more like Christ. God is able to honor and to promote us and make us great. Victory and success will become easier and easier, more frequent in our lives because we're operating more like Christ. And the blessings of obedience will chase us down and overtake us. Why? Because we are bonded, we are bound to the Master. If you will make that commitment to, to press into the Lord and begin to memorize His Word, I'm telling you, God's going to bless your life. The greatest change that ever happened in my life is when I started to memorize Scripture, chapter and verse. Something came alive in my spirit. Something happened that I cannot, and that's why you hear me say this over and over again, but it is the most transformative thing I know to, to bring about growth in, in the church. Let's be a church that really loves the word. Can you say amen? amen. Because if we do that, God's blessings are going to chase it down. It's about his and the word of prayer. Fathers, we've taken off the rose-colored glasses today, and we've looked at ourselves, and Lord, recognize that we could be better. We could be far more transformed than we are. Help us, Lord. My prayer this morning is that for each and every one of us, and I include myself in this prayer, Lord, that we would become more and more passionate about the Word of God. For you alone have the words of eternal life. Help us, Lord. Help us to study. Help us to discipline. Not to be that runaway slave, Lord, who just abandons all obligations. Help us to be devoted to memorizing the word and, and uh, Lord, grow, growing and, and developing and being transformed by your grace and your love. And so, Lord, I just pray for my brothers and sisters this morning that as we remember the great grace of God, the wonderful love, Lord, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Oh, His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Father, we thank you that you are such a wonderful, kind, and benevolent God. I pray, Father, for each and every one of us that this week will be a blessed week. Lord, a week where we are meditating and memorizing on the Word of God. I pray this in Jesus' glorious name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. We're going to get into some good